Miles, if you had to name the most iconic rock band of all time, and I'm talking truly iconic, tip top, the number one rock band of all time, who would you say it is? Never mind. You don't have to. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Let's talk about Forever Night. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? Doing well. How are you doing, Drew? I am doing pretty fantastic. I am super excited to talk about these three episodes of Forever Night that we have to talk about because one of these episodes, and I'll let you figure out which one, is my favorite episode of the season so far. I am excited. I'm right there with you. And, you know, it's been, it's been weird doing these kind of uh, fastly clip deep dive episodes i still feel like even though you know we talked about you know oh yeah sometimes we need a break from these deep dives i still feel like we're kind of on a vacation in a vacation because we're not having to do (laughs) as much research in terms of (laughs) you know our intros and stuff so i still feel you know a little more loosey-goosey doing these uh these forever night episodes and honestly you know we're about three quarters away uh through the first season and, you know, this is a show that I and I think we talked about it a little bit in our initial episode back in September of 2020. I it's a show that I always kind of wanted to check out and never just never got around to it because this show ticks so many of my boxes. And I love that we are getting into the, the minutia of this of this show, because this happens with almost any show, uh, any genre show is you always have, you know, these long, these long periods of time where like, yeah, I dig the show, but I don't like this and this, which is what you heard me say last week. And, and this week you're going to be hearing me a little bit more back up. I mean, I'm going to be, you know, goofing on some stuff that happens, but I'm relatively all three of these episodes were fun to watch. Yeah. I, they all feature something that I really, really appreciated. Uh, one episode in particular that's just fantastic. But without further ado, let's jump in to episode 14, Spin Doctor. Our episode opens in a hotel where both mayoral candidates for this big election in Toronto have set up their their uh, their bases of operation at two opposite ends of this big convention center hotel. And wouldn't you know it, but a journalist is murdered in the hotel. And ooh, who did it? Which candidate was it? Oh, we've got a super, super one direction candidate that Skanky loves and a super other direction candidate that Natalie loves. And they're at each other's throats. And Nick has to step in and be like, oh, we got to keep our minds on the case. This episode... I think if there's anything that I I, cause I I remember walking away, not having a ton to say about the story itself. Um, the mystery is fine. I think I'm still reeling from so much. Political exhaustion from 2020 <laughs> that I was kind of 
done <laughs> yeah uh not not to say that this episode is in any way bad it's just that 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 exhaustion wave just kind of settled back up inside of me i was like oh i don't like any time that skanky and uh nat started arguing politics i was like y'all I, I, y'all gotta stop. I, I can't go through this again toronto uh, uh or but, toronto but you, but, as we have to start pronouncing it <laughs> you did start off with something uh a a journalist is murdered in what i would say is the most hilarious fashion yeah so this is what this is a you may have seen the the way that this journalist dies on countless countless uh uh commercials to to prevent this kind of thing from happening um He's in the bath. You haven't seen it the forever night way. Yeah. He's in a bath watching a little tiny TV. TV screen is like three by four. The TV itself is like three feet deep. Uh, and uh, someone comes in and throws the TV in the bathtub and he electrocutes, uh, which is very, very funny to me. Uh, I know it's not supposed to be, but it was very and, funny. And so it's not just the act that this happens. It is a combination of the way this this scene is blocked, shot, and acted. And it's this this hat trick of hilarity. Especially the guy reacting to the person who is lifting his TV up. And his first it, his first thought is not to like get out of the tub. Um, it's just to look in shock Ooh. and awe and oh, frankly overact. Um in in spectacular fashion uh, and if you're looking at this uh the gilbert reeves we find out the the victim's name is uh miles you may say you might say hey i know that face <gasps> gilbert reeves is played by patrick mckenna who we know from the episode uh, dance by the light of the moon where he played billy the uh proprietor or at least manager of jilly's the strip club that is featured in every intro uh, of season one of, of Forever Nights. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's only in these two episodes. He, I don't even know he gets a line in this episode. I can't remember. And then he's dead. And uh, that's it. Uh, so we are then introduced to the two campaigns. We've got the. The Hyatt campaign and the Tate campaign. No, Tate's the uh, uh, the. Uh, it's the Norton campaign. Sorry, it's Hyatt yes, and Norton. Norton. Forgive me. Uh, so Norton is a uh, a female mayoral candidate and Hyatt is a male mayoral candidate. And I say that just because that is a huge point of contention in the episode. Uh, Skanky says some some unfortunate things uh, about uh, a abroad for mayor. Oh, Skanky. But uh, yeah, this 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 episode does not make does not shine favorably on Skanky because he is the skanky of the first couple episodes, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And not the skanky that we've come to more or less appreciate. And I think that's what kind of also rubbed me the wrong way about this episode is they use skanky as an avenue to 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 say these sexist things and these politically incorrect things, uh, because the the. Um, the Norton campaign, her campaign is. I wouldn't even say a little more liberal, but just, you know, a little more progressive than the Hyatt campaign, which leans a lot more conservatively. I will say they make they make huge stresses to not give any political party to either of the people. Yes, they they do not. They don't even really talk about, talk about platforms. 
No, the, I only glean this from the conversations that Nat has with Skanky. Um, and the one comment that Hyatt makes about homeless people where Nick goes, oh, he dodged that well. And I'm thinking, no, he didn't. His comment, about, said, his comment about homeless people was, well, maybe they want to be homeless. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I, for, for someone who's supposed to play like the centrist, I Nick is is and maybe this is a comment on centrism is extremely naive. Yeah. And. All of this is. I don't want to say book in it, but paralleled by this extremely and I'm, I'm coming up with this again. And, and Drew and I talked about this a little bit. The flashbacks here show Nick somehow uh, in America, I guess. And in Chicago. It's a university yeah, Chicago. of Chicago. He is under suspicion of being a communist and he's coming uh he has a i guess a some sort of hearing which i'm guessing happens at night it's everything's in black and white in in these scenes which it's is to tell objectively silly um, uh, nick is the associate professor of archaeology which if we recall back to the very first episode of the show where nick, makes sense nick it makes sense nick is has always had a a penchant for archaeology that we have seen um <laughs> I want to get to a point of the of this because what they're parallel what they're parallelizing here is the journalist is killed in the beginning of the movie beginning of the movie beginning of the episode and what happens because all of the press is around this convention center that these two political candidates are operating out of it becomes a media circus and of course the episode is called Spin Doctor it's all about media spin and how that affects things I don't know that it's handled particularly well, uh, because, again, I think this is one of those surface level things that they tried to do in the early 90s that we in 2020 have a much different perspective on. I mean, that's absolutely true. I, I just this. And I, you know what? I would love to go on our friend Travis's show, uh, which is going through all of Highlander to see. I don't remember of the Highlander show making these same mistakes with all their flashbacks because it seems to me that e almost almost every time we have a flashback, it's of a particular historically significant moment. You know, the painting of this specific painting, the communist hearings, you know, the 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 London raid. It's not just oh, this took place in 1575. Yeah, and and I was here. It it has to be at these. Historically significant moment for, uh, moments for humanity. And I think that comes to hurt this show a lot because I don't think the flashbacks in this particular episode do the, the, the present story any favors. And in fact, and I, I told you this in a, a much more colorful language, I, I think it frankly makes the episode feel a little stupid. Yes, and that is down to one thing in particular that I want to save because I want to get back to some of the other stuff in this, and then I want to hit where the where the flashback just really hits home. Uh, back in the in the present, uh, they're trying to investigate. We find out that 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 candidate Hyatt has this weird report about some side deals he was trying to do and and that sort of thing and of course yeah. of course skanky d can't believe that this guy has done this at all he's he's a straight shooter he's a nice guy he's earned my vote that sort of thing uh 
Meanwhile, they are trying to investigate this murder and they find a couple of documents that this reporter has been working on. And one of them is a, ro- a report about that report. And the other is is uh, a, a whole different thing. And they go and they talk to a, a what was it? The it's not, not the Inquirer. It's the uh, what was the uh, was the Inquisitor? No, it was a. I, I can't remember. I know what you're talking about. I just cannot remember. It was, it was a it was a it's a tabloid newspaper and the tabloid. It's, let, it's, it's like the National Enquirer. Yeah. It might even be closer to like Weekly World News. It, it is closer like. to Weekly World News because if you as they walk by one of the, the front pages that is plastered on the wall, it's a dude with these big giant fangs sticking out. And, yeah, I, and when I, I, I say love, I love that. When I, say, that. when I say big giant fangs, I mean not vampiric fangs, but like monster fangs, because we have a guy that has fangs every episode already Which, in the show. Drew, I think we might have to explain what Weekly World News is to some people. No, really? Dude, that thing's been like off the presses for a while. Like, is, I think a generation. Is Weekly World News gone? Really? Oh, it's been, it's been gone. All right. Well, just in case we have uh, folks. Its young final enough. issue was in 2007. Wow. Oh, my God. 13 years almost 14 ah! okay so weekly world and news so you know by that point since it was that bad that they had to stop i mean it's it's been out of the public consciousness for a long time a weekly world news was a tabloid newspaper uh but it was known for just astronomically dumb impossible things oh, like uh, uh the, the devil's skull founded uh mexico one of the most famous ones was uh bat boy bat boy and they returned to the bat boy well over and over and over again in fact when i was in the west end of london i watched bat boy the musical which is a musical based on I, the bat boy story <laughs> i remember that um they often uh they loved uh bringing back you know elvis sightings uh, the prophecy of the week from Nostradamus crop uh, circles, was, all of this. Oh yeah. We, we found the garden of Eden, you know, just all wild, wild stuff. And frankly, young miles looked forward to nothing else going to the grocery store with his mother than picking up a copy of weekly world news. <laughs> like, I, and, and honestly, if there was a show that I would love to do for this podcast, do a deep dive on, it's uh, a show called The Chronicle that aired only for only one season on Sci-Fi that was based on a, a little series of books that featured a, a, a reporter that worked for what essentially was the Weekly World News, but the cases were real. So the stories that they were writing were true, but the only way they could get away with telling them is in a tabloid rag. And it was really, really fun. At least from my memory. I'm reeling you back in, Miles. Sorry, Let's get sorry, back sorry. to Forever Night. Uh, anyway, so, but yes, that was so anyway, so so the 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 tabloid reporter uh, or tabloid editor let slip that this reporter, this this Gilbert Reeves guy, he had he had proof that one of the two candidates has been involved in an extramarital affair. <gasps> so of course, Skanky thinks it can't be. Hyatt. Natalie thinks it has to be Hyatt. Turns out it's not Hyatt. Uh, This is where I think the biggest the biggest problem with this episode for me and the only thing I really fault it for outside of one thing in the flashback that I have to get to just a second is that as this all wraps up the both Hyatt and Norton have their spin doctors. They're people who who manage the spin on on the case. And 
Norton's is, is a, a woman named Laura Neal, who is played by uh, Lisa Howard, who I think is a Highlander character. I think she's an actress who was on, on a number of Highlander episodes uh, when I did research, but I don't have that in front of me right now. Anyway, she is the one who killed Reeves to pro- to to protect the story of an affair between Norton and Reeves. And I just it comes out of nowhere just a little bit too much for me. Her involvement and how wrapped up she is in it just comes out a little too, too much for me. That's I don't know. How did, how did you feel about the, the result of this episode, Miles? I, I honestly, I thought they they played their hand. I, I, I like I said, I, th- I thought that. The mystery aspect for this episode was fine. It was very kind of paint by numbers. It it was certainly competent, but it didn't do a lot for me. And it it's it's honestly unfortunate in that, especially in the political times in which this was written, which was not dissimilar than what we just exited. It's like, oh well, you know, th- this this side that is being represented is. It's so ambitious that it's going to resort to nefarious means. And I mm. thought that was a little disingenuine. I kind of wish it hadn't been anyone associated specifically with the campaign. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense for them to, for it to be specific to the campaign. I then sure. think, I then think that she goes the that the Laura Neal character goes a little bit off the deep end and kidnaps uh, can- candidate Norton and drives her to City Hall at gunpoint. Like I told you, I'd take you to City Hall, and now I'm gonna kill you. And like it does, it that, was weird. The whole scene was just, it was weird. It it didn't really make sense other than I guess they're just trying to show that the characters, you know more like kind of the rabid dog approach that's backed up against the wall and it's just flailing. But I, I, I think that that in that term, this episode narratively fell apart for me. It's still an enjoyable episode to watch. Um, almost no vampiring in this one. Not really. Nick vamps out to stop her from shooting candidate Norton but at Nick, the very Nick, end. This, and again, I made this complaint last time for a good chunk of the procedural episodes that we watch nick's only vampireness sometimes is just flying in the nick of time to end the mystery <laughs> yeah exactly he's not the best detective uh, in these episodes or in this episode in particular but uh, i okay I, we before we move on from this episode because i don't i feel like there's not a lot else to say about it we have to talk about the flashback so we set up Nick is about to go into an inquiry board about potential communist ties. And the weird thing about this is that Nick never flat out says he's not a communist. He just kind of says, well, the trial's already over. I've already been convicted before it's even begun. Da, 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 da. It's like, OK, but are you a communist? And he never says no, which is just funny to me uh, because agree he's 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 almost well actually the the Senate hearings. And I'm just like, dude, you might just want to play this one cool but you know subtlety and nick are just not friends and well and speaking of subtlety nick is on the stand and this inquiry board he's got people behind him including this old lady who has already yelled at him for being a dirty commie earlier and the 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 person presiding over it is handed a note and he reads the note it's like Mr. Uh, was Gerard. I think he's Nick Gerard in this in, in the 1960s. Yeah. Uh, 
Can you tell me why you have bottles of animal blood in your office? <laughs> to which the woman behind him just yells, Communist monster! <laughs> it was laugh out loud funny because that is like, of course, even if he is or is not a communist, he's got bottles of animal blood in his office because he's a vampire. We know. But how do you explain that? Like, it just confirms so many, so many things people said about communists back in the 60s and 50s. It's so funny. It's it was so funny. Extremely funny. And honestly, I think as much as I think that the the flashbacks are completely unnecessary that moment it made the episode memorable for me so i mean they succeeded in that but um yeah i mean i like i said i at the top of the show i like all three of these episodes this one is my least favorite of the three i think um but it does have it does have some 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 decent moments <laughs> yeah it does but, I, it's 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 fun it's a little kookier it's a little weirder but uh that is gonna pale in comparison to what we have coming up next yeah the entire time i'm watching this episode because drew had watched these before i did he was because i think i had started it when he was on episode 15 and he was like just going on about how how much he was having a good time and how wild this episode was and how I, he needed my reactions as I was watching it. And I got to I got to give Drew credit and episode 15 is a wild time and I I'm with him. I think it's one of the it's it's something the one of the most fun episodes of the season so far. Episode 15, Dying for Fame. I love this episode. I'm very good. This episode opens with a music video by rock star Rebecca Baby. I don't know if she's actually Rebecca Baby or if they just call her Rebecca Baby, but she is also just referred to as Rebecca in the episode. Um, anyway, uh, with her hit song fan kill where it's all about how the only way to treat her fans is to kill them because that's the only way they'll learn. Meanwhile, we see someone who looks very much like Rebecca getting it on with this dude. Who's got a Rebecca fan forever tattoo on his arm in Sharpie. Cause it looks like a fake tattoo who then ends up getting stabbed. Oh yeah. That thing was a hundred percent attempt at. <laughs> yeah. Uh so this is the greatest episode of Forever Night that we have watched so far. I'm not sure that anything is going to be better than this episode. We may not even get to the third episode that we covered cuz there's so much to say about this episode. First and foremost, Rebecca. Hey, I know that face. Rebecca is played by actress Tracy Cook, who previously appeared in the series as the vampire Alma that almost ate Skanky in one of the first episodes of the show. I love the the WB slash CW type nature of Forever Night in recycling actors because because uh, that company is is pretty kind of famous for doing that. I mean, even Buffy had done that where so and so might have been a minor character named somebody else 
and then all of a sudden they're brought in to be a main character. I mean, it happens. Um, it happens on shows. I mean, it's 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 certainly not the only one to have done that. I mean, it happened on like Doctor Who a couple times. Oh yeah, I mean it. it Karen oh, Gil- yeah, Peter Capaldi was in an episode. <laughs> Peter Capaldi was in an episode. Karen Gillan was in an episode. Actually, they were in the same episode, weren't they? Yeah. The, I think so. I the think fire, so. the fires of Pompeii. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> that's, that's it's very weird. Um, so yeah, it's 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 but it's always fun as a fan of pop culture and television to kind of point these things out. I also, you know, of course, this being about music and about quote unquote youth culture. I kind of expected this going in, but it is very much written by older people and what they think young music is like and what they think youth culture is like. And boy, howdy. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode, like the plotting of this episode is so strange because they they find the person in her hotel room. She uh, Rebecca is I, I my wife's name is Rebecca. This is difficult for me to say. Just understand that for the purposes of this episode, I am talking about the character and the my favorite episode of Forever Night and not my wife. Unless otherwise stated. Anyway, uh, she is an alcoholic. I think you were talking about your wife. <laughs> look, I, it, I that is a name I say all the time, all day. I think about that <laughs> name constantly. It's always in my down. head and close <laughs> to my heart. But anyway, uh, she's an alcoholic, so she blacks out. And so she has no proof that she didn't kill this guy. She also doesn't seem to mind going to jail for killing the guy. As we find out, she's a tortured soul and she hates uh, the 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 fame that she is 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 put under and 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 all of this other stuff that's going on. And that falls a little flat for me, but. Yeah, I'm like, like I said, it's definitely written from from the perspective of uh, probably an, an older male writer that just was, t- you know, we got to write about youth culture today and someone turned someone turned on much music or mtv and for a day and and that that's apparent and that's okay it's fun it's fun to laugh at these things uh the teenagers depicted because immediately after their uh the video and the opening murder we are treated to a kind of newscast about the controversy of rebecca baby and that well, on one hand, you have these kind of uh, angry mother, like conservative groups. Then it turns because she's also talking about killing her fans. And hey, everyone knows that face or at least that voice. So this is the thing I had to do a little bit of of digging for this. So I am 95 percent sure that what I am about to say is accurate. That is, is. N- that is not what is reported on IMDb or other sources to find this out. And I tried searching for this person's name and Forever Night, and it came up with nothing. But here we go. So in the 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 credits, there is a particular performer's name, uh, Tara Cherendoff. Maybe you know who that is. Maybe you don't. She's credited as the publicist on IMDb, but she is not the publicist. I can tell you that because if you look at this person uh, next, the this person's uh, you know other pictures and the publicist's pictures, definitely not the same person. 
But if you go back to the teenagers, hmm, one of those teenagers, uh, which definitely, she would have been at that point, which she would have been at that point. Uh, Tara Cherendoff is one of the most famous performers we have seen on Forever Night so far. You may know her better by her her married name and her professional name of Tara Strong. Yes. Yeah. Voice actress extraordinaire Tara Strong is one of the teenagers interviewed in this episode of Forever Night. And we are off to the races, gang. We are off yeah. to the races. <laughs> well, I even I even uh, wrote to to Drew. And I was like, because I, I was like, a really nice way to say thanks, Rebecca. And he's like, you know, that is right. I'm like, I know I know this Miles, person. Because Miles thought that I, I calculated that because my wife's name is Rebecca. And that's a funny thing that I like a clip that I could I could, uh, you know, send to her and do something like that. And it's like, yo, dude, it's, it still is. Because it's funny. Uh, dude, <laughs> that is Tara Strong. It's uh, Twilight Sparkle, Raven, Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. Yeah, so I mean, she's many other characters. She's, she's I mean, honestly, you we you could have an entire podcast dedicated to the work of Tara Strong. She is a titan in the voice acting industry Back and a, a fantastic a- actress on, on her own. She's a, an amazing talent and not one that I expected to pop up in in this episode. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so So let's go to the other side of the coin, because here's another reason, Miles, why this episode is so great. This is our first episode that does not feature a vampiric flashback. Or at least as we know them. Or at least as we know them. Because instead of flashbacks in this episode, we get Nick having nightmarish dreams about being a vampire. Oh, man. This, these scenes, especially the one that we're, we're talking about now, because the very first one takes place in a diner. And... This scene is wild before it even gets wild. It's, it's like watching an 80s era Tim Burton movie. You walk into this this very classic diner and you see two twins wearing like poodle skirts sitting at the bar and you see an old man reading a newspaper and you see like uh, uh, you see a child by herself enjoying a soda and full dinner. Just sitting at the booth, there's no no other person there. And I it was the first thing I noticed that was like, oh, this is weird. Because this, this child is like having a normal dinner. She does not look distressed. It, I, I, I screen grabbed one to show to Drew because I was just, I was literally yelling, why is there this child here? And then we focus on Natalie and Nick. And Nick is about to eat his very first French fry ever. And when he and of course, every French fry needs ketchup. So he dumps the ketchup all over the fries. Nat. This isn't ketchup. This is blood. And he looks around and everyone has oddly blood all over their hands and some have them on their faces. It's a really weird scene. And it's very David Lynch. Like, I honestly, because this sort of thing. Perpetuates into the next episode. I feel like I don't know if Twin Peaks just really hit Canada at this time because Twin Peaks would have been done. But I feel like whoever directed this episode, whoever wrote this episode, was massively influenced by Twin Peaks. I can definitely see the, that. the story, the storytelling style, obviously not the actual show. But another problem I have with this scene is when he's talking about having ketchup. 
I, I've said this numerous times. Nick is really bad at being a human being. And <laughs> the way he puts the ketchup on these fries is barbaric. It's so much ketchup. And it's just all over. And the fry he picks up is coated in ketchup. It's... I, I get the point they were making as the scene persisted. But at first I was like, Nick calm down and, and you watch that scene and it doesn't necessarily hit that this is a, a that this is a nightmare or a dream at first it's like this weird vision and of course then all of a sudden he's he's back at the police station talking to skanky and boy does skanky understand everything about rock and roll oh man every skanky is has his thumb on the pulse of the rock and roll beat baby oh yeah except for the just the, the skanky subplot to this whole episode is just p- premium skank squad i love it so much it's it's, but, sk- it's just skanky dealing with being old and like what do you mean bachman turner overdrive you've never heard of bachman turner overdrive <laughs> so that but see this is the skanky that we have known not the skanky from the last episode. And this is the skanky that I love because one man, he is ride or die with some BTO. He is a proud blooded Canadian man who loves his Bachman Turner overdrive. You cannot tell me that you, that no there is there a Canadian alive that doesn't love BTO right now. Probably don't don't at me. Don't. Uh, but uh. The, the emails are going to come in. I mean, I would I honestly, because sometimes these Canadian shows tend to overdo it with Canadian references. And if, if it's going to be a first run syndication in the States, I expected something a little more obvious, like Rush. You know, I, I could see Skiki being a Rush fan. Is Jethro Tull Canadian? I don't know the answer to that question. OK. And I don't know um, why you think I would know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about music, except I know BTO. The only two, the only, I know uh, the take care of business. I know uh, BTO. I know uh, uh, Rush and uh, 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 Rick Springfield, and he uh, and he Canadian. God, you could have gone. I mean, the Bernicolis. Well, they would have been around yet. Uh, tragically hip or Canadian, and uh, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of we, sit here so, ra- kind of rapper Snow. Uh, uh, of in, of informer fame, he's Canadian. It's quite a cut. Anyway, anyway. So anyway, what I what I do like uh, about this episode, other other than its complete nonsensical nature, uh, one th- it brings up another skankyism that he loves to use, which is hasta la bye bye. I, I don't bye know bye. why I, I I don't know why I love this phrase this phrase so much. Um, I, it's, he's not the first person I've ever heard use it. Asta la bye bye is something that I have heard in other things around this time. Oh, see, I, I have not. Um, so anyway, Rebecca is, yeah, brought in for questioning and not taking this seriously at all. In fact, she even says, you guys are serious, aren't you? As if the police would bring her in for, for questioning for a murder just for the fun of it. It's such a weird, weird thing. Uh, I'm sorry. When I search for Asala Bye Bye, I literally get uh, a YouTube video of probably a supercut of Skanky saying Asala Bye Bye. Good. I, as, I, as God intended. Yes. As God intended. I'm, I'm totally for that. I, I do see it on, as a, uh, a on the Wikipedia for mock Spanish. Uh, so like no problemo, El Chipo and other things like that. It is included along that. 
But uh, um, I think I skipped ahead uh, before the interrogation. Skanky and and Nick go to a concert and they're they're allowed backstage. And while Rebecca is playing her songs, uh, you know, offer rocker on on vodka and and the like nick somehow inexplicably it's nightmare time again baby because we're we're in for a ride as he enters a music video we have just learned that nick was at woodstock so here's the thing i couldn't tell if that like i knew that he made that comment even though woodstock was during the day um but the scene continued from there, and that's what kind of I think wasn't that the the kind of segue into the music video? Yes, part? it was, which made no sense because wherever he was was clearly not Woodstock because he was dressed like Billy Idol. And then, look. Oh, no, no, no. wait is is that be- is that part before or after the just the generic music video part? I can't remember because there man. is the part where he's talking about being at Woodstock, and then there's a male version of the Rebecca Baby song. Yeah. And bears his fangs at the at the crowd. I'm talking about the part where he's like seems to be lost in a blank alley and there's like TVs playing. Oh, and the like, TVs are they're all it's all, all these happy families at a daytime picnic and they all turn around yes. and look at Nick yes. on the screen. Again, what is this? <laughs> what is this episode? If it sounds like we're trying to come to terms with something that doesn't make sense that we're skipping around, no no no. This is how this episode goes. It's, this episode is beautiful nonsense, and I love every minute of it. Uh, but but then but then we have the music video because uh, Lacroix comes in, Lacroix, and I don't know whether he's the drummer or the lead singer or what, but he says it's time to rock, Nicholas. <laughs> it's time <laughs> to rock. <laughs> I love this episode so very, <laughs> this very, very pretty, much. It, it takes every ounce of serious threat that LaCroix has when that happens. Because I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, for all his bluster about humans and stuff, you put this man in front of, you know, a thousand people, give him an electric guitar, and he is ready to go. Yeah. Um, this episode is just beautiful. Okay, and, and oh, we, we need, I do, we needed to circle around because, uh, Part of part of Rebecca's backstory in this is her manager, Marty, who is clearly pushing her for everything, uh, pushing her too far, making, you know, really the kind of that toxic manager who clearly has more more invested in what he's going to get out of it than than making music or anything like that. You know, kind of the, the toxic uh, music person that you might see back then. Um, I just want to say when it comes to to Marty. Hey, I know that face. Uh, Marty is played by Richard Eden, who is a, a well-known Canadian actor who you may, <laughs> Miles and I probably know best as Officer Murphy in RoboCop 3 and the RoboCop TV series. He played Officer Murphy mm-hmm. in that series. He did. And, and it, you could also see why he does favor Peter Weller a good bit. Yeah, I can see it in the face. Yeah, for sure. And so his relationship with Rebecca is very weird because it changes at the end of the episode. Um, but I mean, to fast forward in terms of the actual mystery, it, it 
turns out that the person that murdered well we have we, we have two other things to go along to go along okay. with this so because we also have to 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 realize that there is this this weird bald dude who looks like agent 47 from hitman who has shown up at the police station where they have rebecca in custody and has just handed nick some polaroids and so all of a sudden we have a suspect and he's a creepo dude and he uses the key phrase give this to whoever's in charge and that's what gives him away and they find it. Uh, but there's, you know, another side of things. And that's the character of Wendy, who we are introduced to at first because she looks just like Rebecca and they don't do anything to hide it. They have the same hair. They have the same build. Um, Wendy is played by uh, Nahani Johnstone, who is all over Canadian television and has worked a long time in Canadian television. Uh but anyway, you, I don't know her face because I don't I haven't watched a ton of the stuff she's in, like Degrassi and, and this or that. But she has worked a lot, like a lot of these uh, secondary performers in the show have long careers. Um, anyway, to make a long story short, dude, d- random fan killer dude is taking the uh, he wants to prove to Rebecca that her fans love her by killing her which is a whole thing. And he brings an Uzi to the, to, to the concert, which I don't know how, I guess no metal detectors, but, uh, we, we also have to, to comment that during, during a moment, which is becoming all too familiar. I'm assuming maybe just in the Canadian cut. I don't know if this is in the U S cut. The obligatory Nick just moping around his apartment slash warehouse and doing what throwing cards into hats and doing whatever whatever it is he Play, does playing with a candle he does a lot of playing with a candle in this one he plays the piano again but it's not green sleeves it's a different song that i couldn't place well, but th- this time they they switch from the night calls my name which is i guess the 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 show's staple pop song to one of rebecca baby's songs which, I mean, I guess, you know, it fits the episode, but I did find it funny that they finally changed the song that he broods yeah. to. Now, now I, I, we also learned in this episode that all three of the songs that we hear in this episode, Fan Kill and Dark Side, uh, of, the Dark Glass, Side of the Glass, uh, and, and the pre- I guess it's not in this episode, but it's in previous episodes, uh, are all performed by Canadian singer Laurie Yates. So they they all have a similar connective thread i would i need yeah. to hear the 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 raven club song again to hear if that's another laureate song but uh i think the raven club song is the night calls my name is it okay so um and they're they're, they're honestly they're super fun songs like i i have enjoyed the music in this this show immensely i i have constantly thought that the theme song sounds like the opening of a, of like a super nintendo castlevania game <laughs> or or a game that would have been like a sierra point and click adventure you know like gabriel knight or something like that like it, it there is there is some absolute charm in the music of this show and i i will say like as much as they get wrong like the music's fun like it absolutely is they try to tr- treat this rebecca uh black black rebecca baby uh <laughs> she's dressed all in right. black so it works um, <laughs> this rebecca baby uh character like she's alice cooper or you know marilyn manson or something and i i don't think even in 1991 people would have found 
Rebecca baby all that threatening. Her most threatening her, her most threatening thing is that she w- carries a big knife on stage and f- swings it around and then she pulls out an she pulls out her own Uzi and shoots into the crowd. Granted it's not a real Uzi unlike the dude at the end who definitely shoots Rebecca on stage as Nick and Skanky take the dude down. Oh, but it turns out it, it wasn't Rebecca after all. It because Rebecca was in this in the the green room, locked in a closet. It was Wendy who wanted to take her spot and her fame, which is one of the things. Like if you probably just asked her, <laughs> she would have said yes. I mean, because she hated fame, and she there. And and that's one thing I do want to say when it comes to the Rebecca character. I think she's performed well. I think that the Tracy oh, Coke does does a great job, and I think they give this character more than a lot of other focal characters in in these episodes like a a little bit of a definition for their pathos like you see that she uses alcohol to to distract herself and you see that she doesn't really want to to be famous she doesn't want her eyes on her all the time hence she she has like we found out those polaroids that it she has this crazy platinum wig and big sunglasses so she can't be recognized in public and and as she goes out to to distract herself from everything and 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 at the end, it's odd that the the Marty, the record producer, just decides to say that Rebecca Baby is dead. Yes, she's still alive and we know that. But her her plat, her sales were, were flagging. She wasn't hitting the right market. She wasn't breaking through this or that. So uh, so we'll just let her be dead because we own all her stuff and we can just put out tribute albums for the rest of our days. What's what's so interesting about that scene is when you say it like that, it, it sounds a little more cynical than the, than the scene itself plays, because to me, the scene played that he was letting Rebecca off the hook. And he but but he also was smart enough to know that, hey, this is the play for the company and we can. We can roll with this. I, I I didn't see it that way, mostly because he only ever treated her as a commodity for throughout the rest well, of the I episode. I agree. That's why I think I thought his character was so interesting because the way he performs that last scene, and maybe I just read it wrong, but it, it seemed to me that he was more bargaining with the label because the label knows she's alive. <laughs> Yeah, so, but again, Rebecca Baby is likely a stage name, and again, they own the the catalog of songs. She doesn't own the catalog of songs, so they right, can put them out a, forever. A constant pro- that that's a problem that persists today. I mean, in in the news this last year, you had the big drama about Taylor Swift's songs and why she's re-recording most of her older material because the record label owns it and will not will not allow her access to it. So, I mean, this is a problem that persists today. And and so that is not, while it sounds like a stereotypical label issue, that's something that 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 is a constant problem. But I, Re- Rebecca's problem didn't seem to be that she just, that she was famous, but she wasn't making the music that she wanted to make. And, and that was the, there's the one scene where she's in the jail cell, um, jail cell, um, where she's got a guitar somehow because let her have an acoustic guitar in there because she's famous i guess i guess if you ever get busted go to canadian prison because anything goes (laughs) (laughs) you heard it right you heard it right guys according to miles anything goes in canadian prison no no no. 
anything goes according to Forever Night. I mean, she's and I think she even says, oh, I traded it for some street performer who was busted without a permit. I'm like, well, his guitar in the jail cell. Um, and it's also the scene where we see another flashback slash dream sequence with LaCroix that I don't think I think that it, that one kind of overstayed its welcome. I think that was one too many. It didn't really work for me. Um, but otherwise, I mean, this episode is fantastic. Uh, almost no vamping. Oh, this I ep- feel like and, no, there there is one bit of vamping that we forgot to talk about at the beginning of the episode. The the captain is talking about how how much crime there is, and he calls Nick into work early. So Nick has this big overcoat and this mask and this hat and these dopey sunglasses, and he's he driving like Liam Neeson and Dark Man. <laughs> he reaches he reaches out to adjust his mirror or something, and he burns his wrist. It's so silly. Oh wait, no no no. There is one other scene with vamping, and it's honestly my favorite. See, probably my favorite scene in this entire episode. I'm with the band. I'm with the band. The way he says that, like, as he deepens his voice even more so than usual to compel this bouncer to let him in so that he can go rescue Rebecca. It's wonderful. This episode is fantastic. I'm I'm with Drew. This is a top tier episode. Um probably the most fun I have had this entire show. I don't know if it's the best. I really do love the Dark Knight pilot. Um, but in terms of the the regular episodes, this is an outstanding favorite. Yeah, the key art for this, if I can find it, is going to be Nick on stage with an electric guitar because it's so goofy. I love it so it's, much. It's, it's great. Also, I mean... TV loves depicting people having lighters in the crowd. I have been to hundreds of shows and yes, it does happen sometimes, but not to the degree that people think it does. Um, I know it was replaced with cell phones in the two thousands, but even in the nineties, like there weren't that many lighters and the (laughs) amount of lighters at a Rebecca baby show is frankly embarrassing. (laughs) So, so let's move on to the next episode. Let's move on to our last episode of the evening, episode 16, Only the Lonely. This episode is fascinating for completely different reasons, uh, but let's get into it. So uh, we Nick and Skanky start this episode out uh, going to a, a, a murder victim's house. Uh, and it's this is the another murder victim who who seems to fit a pattern. And of course, they determine that. There is they find it a a dating service video, which this will, you know, online dating is a whole thing now and dating apps and all of that. But back in the 90s, oh, man, you had to make a video that they would then send to people. Uh, It is. Such an old school thing, like if you remember lowered expectations, that sketch on Mad TV, like that was a a whole thing. Expectations. so uh, so they, they now have a lead for the first time. But uh, as as we we go through this, apparently it's also Natalie's birthday. And importantly, it's Natalie's 30th birthday. And that's where our story kind of takes us. Natalie is lonely. She, you know, 
Uh, she she's reflecting on her first meeting with Nick, which happened on her 28th birthday. So we know they have known each other for exactly two years at this point. And that's one of the most interesting things about this episode. There are no vampire flashbacks in this episode. All the flashbacks are from Natalie's perspective. Which is really and interesting. I really, this episode, I wish this episode was like the fifth or sixth episode. This yes. episode shows a lot of character development, a lot of movement, and this could have been the fifth or sixth episode. And I think, I think in a modern version, it would have. And th- this is also, in some ways, one of my favorite episodes for, for like Drew said, for completely more serious reasons. And it's mostly all of the stuff with Nick and Nat. And it's, th- Honestly, the first uh, the first episode that I think insinuates to me that there is more to their relationship. There have been little kind of winks to the audience here and there, but I think when they when they when they kissed on the mouth at the at the baseball game. Yes, Uh, but no, but that that was just Nick's weird. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's true. I I feel this is the, the the most overt moment where there is emotionally more there between Nick and Natalie than, you know, we know. And I, I like the way that this episode plays it. But before we get into that, I do also have to comment that the opening scene is one of the most pantomime (laughs) silly murders, even more so than, um, Spin Doctor, because we're we're witnessing the end of a date. And then the guy wants to come up to the girl's apartment. She doesn't know, thinks they're moving too fast. He gets angry and kills her. And the acting in particular in this scene, because it's almost all voice acting, you don't see anyone's faces. When it when it, when you connect it with the shadows that are moving around, it's pretty hilarious. It's not the best opening actors that they've had. And and honestly, they're the the uh the guy playing the the lead suspect, the, the one that enters Natalie's life, is hey, I know that guy. That is Barclay Hope. He's a longtime TV actor that you've probably seen on multiple shows. He is in Most everything. Re- he, he has. He's been in everything. Most recently, in terms of his recurring roles, he was Clifford Blossom in Riverdale. And I mean, but this guy has, I mean, a, a sheet of TV appearances. This guy has worked. I think he was in uh, Stargate. He's in Stargate SG one as a as a uh, a character for a few episodes. Yeah, he, he's again. I think another Degrassi person. All sorts. So he's been in a bunch of movies too. Uh, uh, as, yeah, as, he, he's he's has a long and storied history. And I, it took me a second because he's so much younger here than I've seen him recently. <laughs> and it, it's not a name that I I think about too too often. But going back to the birthday, we, we get our we get our, our big skankyism of the episode with his with his continued awesome advice on women. Do, do you remember it? Oh, I, I, I don't. So whenever there's an anniversary or a birthday, make them think you're not getting them anything. So they'll lower their expectations so that when you do get them something at the end of the day, no matter what it is, they are happy you got them something. <laughs> 
Skank Squad. I mean, skanky man. <laughs> Who hurt you? <laughs> the, well, the, so there's there's the that's that's part of Skanky's, but Skanky's backstory and the like his little subplot in this because Natalie is clearly you know. She, oh, I'm trying to hook hook uh, Natalie. <laughs> Yeah, she gets she gets a little, uh, you know, she's she's 30. She's still single and, and all of this. And of course, <laughs> oh, oh, for crying out loud, if I had known, I mean, Myra lives for this stuff. And the rest of the episode, Skaggy is trying to introduce uh, Natalie to to men that his his wife, Vinyl. Myra, is trying to to set him up with, including his uh her friend's nephew Lionel is that what it is uh, I can't remember the the relationship with it's, Lionel but it's I think Myra's Myra's friend's brother or Myra's brother's friend of one of those I think combinations um but yeah this this really is Natalie's episode because she ends up uh meet cuting with the murderer and spoiler warning I mean it, it's so obvious that it's that that's yeah, what's going they, on they make they make no bones to kind of let you know who this guy is. I mean, not to Natalie herself. And in fact, there is a, a red herring at one point that is a complete waste of uh, the show's time and hours. Honestly, the character story we're doing with Natalie was good enough because she's also at this crossroads where she she is realizing that that she has feelings for Nick and that either he is not going to act on his feelings or they're not going to be reciprocated. And, and then, I really like how they handle it in this episode because Nick has, has to be in terms of TV vampires, but at least in this episode, I have not watched ahead. I do not know what happens in forever night, but in this particular episode, he's acting as one of the most responsible vampires I have ever seen on TV or movies. <laughs> Because he knows that getting involved with a human romantically is a bad idea. And that at some point he is going to have to leave and and hurt her. He he it, it's it's such an interesting interesting thing that like we see a lot of we see a lot of vampires in TV Angel uh say things like that, but then they they still act on them in much the same way. And yeah, because as much as I love Angel and I really do, you're also a 250-year-old vampire who's hooking up with a 16-year-old girl. And who boy, when you say that out loud, does it not sound good? Liberty wham um, wham wazzle. Anyway, uh, but but Nick, Nick. The problem with Nick in this episode, and it's it's one of almost the charming things that endure in this show, is Nick is really bad at being a human. <laughs> and he's he tends to be an idiot when it comes to feelings. Like, I can see why he will not allow himself to be attracted or consider Natalie as a romantic partner. But he will not express himself. And Natalie thinks that he is either being aloof or he just doesn't feel that way. And it even though he still acts protective about her. In a way that upsets her, because like, of course, he only acts this way the second that she has somebody that she's seeing. And, Mm -hmm. And it's 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 a classic TV trope. But honestly, it works. It works for me in this episode. It really and truly does. It it really does, because, well, they also they give you a good pathos. It's not just. Well, Ross doesn't like Rachel right now 
because Rachel likes Ross. You know, it's not one of these sitcom kind of relationships. In this episode, I, I think they do a really good job telling the story and we're bookended, like um, Drew mentioned, with these great scenes of the very first time Natalie met Nick. And so let's let's dive I, into this because there's some interesting vampire think, stuff. Yeah. In the this. best use of uh, flashbacks I think we've seen yet. Yeah, because I mean, they're more they're more recent and they're more tied specifically to this, because, again, it's not something that happened in 1542 or whatever. It's something that happened two years ago, which Nin- also gives us the timeline for nick's life in toronto yeah so so this this random uh uh morgue attendant wheels him in wheels this body bag in uh it's a cop and he got apparently too close to an explosion that he was chasing for for some things and uh his face is all blasted up but at least you won't have to some other joke that he said that i can't really remember but uh you uh that Eddie, the morgue attendant. Uh, hey, I know that face. He's a guy named Nick John. He is a Canadian comedian, has appeared in a number of things. He was on the Red Green show for a long time. If anybody remembers the Red Green show. Um, but of course, as we put two and two together, we understand that this is. Uh, and I got to say, I love that they start this episode singing happy birthday to to Natalie for her 30th. And then they flash back two years. Oh, yeah. And happy birthday, by the way. 28's a good year. <laughs> so we know literally how exactly how long ago it's been. But of course, we find right. out we find out that in the body bag, it's Nick as the blood that has spilled out onto the table sloops back up into the body bag. <laughs> One of those classic did, reverse did shots. Know, did you also notice after after he stands up, his clothes have healed, too? Yeah, it's a vampire. It's vampire magic, honestly. I, I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, but we see Nick's we see Nick's uh, uh, ability, you know, his his healing abilities come to, to four. We do see mm-hmm. Nick drink human blood in this scene, which is something he does not often do. Uh, he takes a little a uh, little vi- a little blood bag from somewhere. I don't know why it's there, because that's a morgue, not a, a hospital. But, you know, it's there. Why not? Um, <laughs> well, because because to the average viewer, it, morgue is part of the hospital. It could easily be, matter. It could easily be a sample. Uh, we wouldn't know. But anyway, um, it, but but the the scenes between the two of them is as Natalie figures out what Nick is and he's cold and and he heals and all of these things. And one of the most interesting things happens in one of these where Nick tries to glamour her to make her forget. And we have seen him do this in the past. We talked in the past about Mm -hmm. in past episodes of our show about how Nick is just kind of out there with his vampire abilities and doesn't seem to care. And now we know why, because apparently most of the time off screen, he's making people forget with his vampire powers. And he tries that with Natalie and it doesn't work. The, those power his powers did not work on her so she remembers but luckily she's cool and she wants to help him become human because she figures out that if you really wanted to kill me you wouldn't be helping save people's lives as a cop on the force and that's where we are uh of course to, to wrap it all up we find out that the guy's the 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 murderer and Nick flies uh, to to where they're going and saves her and throws the guy through a, a plate glass ceiling because it's a greenhouse. And that's the episode. 
I really wish they would stop doing these kind of you know, always a rapist and a murderer. And this is what sets them off. They have a, a one too too many of these kinds of uh, criminals. There, there's a couple things. I mean, first of all, this guy's uh, first inclination when he's telling her to skip work is like, "Oh, let's go fly a kite." And I was just like, "What? What is this? Happy days? Like this is 1992, and y'all are adults." Well, I, well, like, and their their first romantic lunch that they go off and get together, they're sitting in the park, like right next to the playground, and there are children everywhere, and it's like this is. I mean, yeah, it's just it's, I have look, kids. I'm, it's not the most romantic place. Uh, if I had the choice of going on a on a date, a picnic. Right. <laughs> yeah, not it would not it's, be my first choice. No. And then, well, not just that, but like, I mean, not flying kites can be fun, but it's just. Yeah, it's it, it, it felt silly. And and one thing that uh, that that kind of time warped me in this episode is in at the end of their initial meet cute. Uh, he he makes this little reference. Oh, can, you know, can I ever call Sydney? I think is the Sydney name of her, is her cat? cat's name. Yeah, and Natalie um, has a cat that we've never seen before. And he, so she gives him her last name with the cat's name, and says, "Look it up in the phone book." Or you, no, uh, she literally says the classic line, "I'm in the book." I'm in the book, right? Which and, uh, so so again, we had to explain earlier what the Weekly World News was. So I I also want to tell our younger listeners that yes, in the past there used to be a book that got delivered to your house that had everybody's name and phone number in it and address. It was so convenient. Those were the days. Some some they are still delivered, but they're mostly just yellow pages now. Yeah, it's all yellow uh, pages. Yeah, that's right, because they used to be yellow pages, which was businesses, and white pages, which were residents. And yeah, it used to be this big block, the big brick of a book that you would get every single year. And and every every uh, phone book phone booth would have this big one that was bound up. And <sighs> yeah, and I mean, it's not that I forgot phone books existed, but like to the casual degree of which they talked about, like, oh, I'm in the book. And, and she just walks off and he walks off satisfied with that knowledge, which means it's such a casual everyday thing. Because he knows her name is Natalie. And even though she he, she says, you know, you know Sydney uh, and then her last name, he puts two and two together. You know, it's a it's a little, you know, supposed meet cute even though he's a murderer. <laughs> well, we don't know that yet. <laughs> We're not stupid. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to happen. We know, we know who he is. But but yeah, that, that whole scene, I was, just, I was just kind of floored because I haven't gotten too many like, oh man, remember when with this show? Like it, a lot of things like, oh, yeah, this is so 90s in, in terms of its production and how things might have been at one point or another. Sk- Skanky but, has been using a cell phone the last couple of episodes. It's been one of those old school, like big yeah. giant brick flip phones. But this is this is the first time where I'm like, oh, man, I do remember when phone books were an everyday thing that you used. And and now it's just uh, contacts and Siri. <laughs> yeah, like I I I don't know my wife's cell phone number. I don't know it because it's in my phone and I can just tell my phone to call it. And. I guess I have a way to look it up, but, you know, but like I this, 
the the white pages that's a whole thing we could do a whole bit on that i'm not prepared to do right now anyway uh to to wrap up conversation about this episode i really did enjoy it it did something different it did something new it was more of a classic episode but by switching that focus to natalie versus nick it really gave her a lot more time to to really like she's been a part of the show from the very beginning but this is the first time i feel like we're really getting to know her and and not as knowing her as an accessory to nick a hundred percent yes that is the, the the absolute best way to put it and Again, this is this is an episode that I would I would have had at, at five or six because it when you say it like a regular episode, I think of a regular episode in, in modern terms. Like this is, I guess what we we do when we talk about Star Trek a lot in, in the same way where you have you know x amount of episodes a year that kind of attach to one another or carry over some things, and then everything else is episode of the day because there was very serialized, very little serialized storytelling. And in, and and the same here, like outside of the constant ghost of Lacroix, you know, that we're, we're waiting to come back, you know, this, this is the first time that I think we've seen actual development for a, an integral part of this show. And it also reinforces that even even when he he is trying his best, Nick is so extra. <laughs> my, my immortality is a curse, a fall from grace. I <laughs> no one can help me. Evil is a metaphysical condition, and I'm just like, dude, shut up. I love you so much, but you got to shut up. Stop this. (laughs) But I I also love that as part of Nick's kind of coming to terms with with his feelings for Natalie, he discovers her notebook where he she has found or his she's written down all these like biological proteins and and things. She's trying to figure out vampirism as a physical change, which is. Yeah, I don't know if that'll ever come back, but, you know, we'll see. Well, her her whole thing has always been, you know, this is this is a something she can solve, and she doesn't look at it so much as it's magic. So, I, yeah, I mean, all all around, I think all three of these episodes were were really solid. With the last two just being absolute, I I think the best of what I want out of my Forever Night experience. I think. Um, Oh, the episode 15 is just bonkers fun. It's wild. It's silly. It's all over the place. And then we get a really good character episode. Like I, that's the trend I want to continue going forward. And I hope they do. I, I do too. Uh, so we will see, but we will not see next week. Next week, we're going to take a little break. And instead of taking a break from watching episodes of forever night, uh, which which we are still doing. Uh, we're not taking a break from Forever Night as a whole. We're going to do something very dumb and very fun. We are going to watch the film Nick Knight. This still is the worst name. It is worst an, name for it. It's an awful name. <laughs> this basically serves as a the. It is a film, but it's a, it is a pilot or served as a pilot for Forever Night. However, a lot of the cast is way different 
Natalie's not even in this movie, as far as I can tell. And of course, the character of Nick Knight is not played by our our, our normal Nick It is played by rock singer Rick Springfield. <laughs> I'm I'm super, super excited about watching this. And <laughs> Like you said, this is this was a pilot, but it was a failed pilot. When we did our deep dive, our, our, our initial episode, we talked about how that this this aired on television. It was a TV movie with the expectation to go to series, and it just didn't work. And I cannot wait to see why. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's going to be interesting. You can find it on Amazon. I'm sure it's out there in other places as well. Yeah, uh, you can rent it on t- uh, YouTube as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a $3 rental. It's a $5 buy. I'm, I'm going to do this. This is going to end up in my library. And I don't know why I'm doing this. But hey, it's going to be fun. We're going to do that. Yeah. So we're I remember seeing the, the 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 actual what I'm looking at now is as the quote unquote poster. I remember seeing that tape at Blockbuster. Uh, the, the tagline is "It's taken 200 years, but this cop's past is about to catch up with it." <laughs> not wait. This um, is gonna be great. Uh, so that's gonna be next week, and then of course after that we are gonna return. Only a couple more episodes, about six more. So only two more episodes of Forever Night after that, and then we'll see whether it gets canceled or renewed for further watching uh so until next time miles uh where can people find us well you can email at us uh at the more you nerd you can't well at the more you nerd, yeah sorry more you nerd at gmail.com you can tweet us at the more you nerd and find us on facebook.com at the more you nerd there we go so until next time we'll end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd Hasta la bye-bye.